If anything, humans today are more stressed now than our ancestors were generations ago. And that's a paradox, right? There's all of this technology. All of these problems have, quote unquote, been solved. And yet we are more stressed, more overwhelmed and less happy. So how can that be? Welcome, my fellow humans, to another episode of the Healthy, Happy Human Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Levitin. I've got a great episode for you today, but before we jump in, I just want to let you know about the Healthy, Happy Human Academy Facebook group. This is a private Facebook group that I created for my coaching clients that I've opened up to the public free of charge. Inside, I do weekly live trainings, share helpful and motivational content, and support the members on their journeys to being healthy, happy humans. So if you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, a place to learn and grow, then come join. The link is in the show notes, and I can't wait to see you. And now, on to today's episode. What is happiness? That's a loaded question. So maybe I'll just talk about what is happiness to me. It's been about 18 months or so since I started the Healthy Happy Human podcast. And it's been a little over 12 months since I started my lifestyle education company, the Healthy Happy Human Academy. And since launching, I've been fortunate enough to be interviewed on nearly 50 podcasts, as well as radio shows and in front of audiences, all to share my message of helping people build healthy, happy lives. And in these interviews, there are certain themes that always pop up. Motivation is a huge one. How do we get and stay motivated? Health is obviously always on the docket, right? Tips and tricks and advice I can give to help people live healthier lives from eating to exercise, just general life advice. But the one topic I get asked absolutely the most is undoubtedly about happiness. What is happiness? How can we be happier? And I mean, you know, it makes sense. I kind of set myself up for it, picking a name like the healthy, happy human. It's my brand. It literally is me. It's what I've chosen to embrace and embody. So this is something that I think about a lot. But I'd be lying if I told you that I had a specific, perfect answer. Because in reality, I have many answers. If you go back through all 50 of those podcasts that I've been interviewed on and you listen to me describe my definition of happiness, it's probably different in each one, at least a little bit. And that's because what I'm doing here is is real. I'm talking. I'm, I'm just speaking what I feel. This is me. This is not some canned, pre-written, focus group response that some politician gets and and repeats over and over, you know, on the campaign trail. I have a lot of feelings on the subject and it changes as I grow, as I learn and as I experience more. What I thought was happiness 5 years ago is different than what I think of happiness today. And how I define it today I'm sure will probably be different than how I will choose to define it five years from now. And I last went over this topic on this podcast when I was just starting out, all the way back in episode four, 
titled Defining Health and Happiness. And I'll link to that in the show notes. You can go check it out to compare how my opinion a year and a half ago compares to my opinion today. But since then, since that episode, I've released over 70 podcast episodes. I've done hundreds of social media posts, dozens of video trainings. I've released two 12-week courses, and I've coached hundreds of hours with dozens of clients. So again, my opinion has grown along with these new experiences. So sitting here today in March of 2022, how do I, Paul Leviton, define happiness? And it's still tough. But when I think of happiness, a few words come immediately to my mind. I call these the three C's of happiness. They are control, confidence, and clarity. I'm going to briefly explain exactly why I chose those words, and then I'll explain how I think about using them in order to help myself, my clients, and hopefully you to live happier lives. So the first C is control. And to me, control is everything. I talk about that a lot on this show. Being in control of your life. Now, this is not saying that you need to control everything in your life to be happy because that would be impossible, right? I'm not saying that you have to control the traffic or the weather or what mood your boss is in when you get into work in the morning in order to be happy. Again, that would just be silly and it would mean that we can never be happy since so much lies outside of our direct control. I'm talking about focusing on controlling the things that you can control. In psychology jargon, this is called autonomy. Do you feel the ability to be a conscious decision maker in your life? Are you in control of your actions? Are you in control of the direction that your life is going? And to some extent, are you in control of the way that your life unfolds? As I said, I'm not talking about the things that you can't control no matter what. Right? I'm not talking about controlling the weather. I'm not talking about controlling the economy. I'm not talking about controlling geopolitical things that are way outside of our sphere. What I am talking about are the things that you have the ability to influence and the things that you have the ability to affect in your life. Basically, what I'm asking is, are you in the driver's seat of life or are you a passenger? Abraham Maslow famous psychologist from the 20th century, created what he called the hierarchy of needs, which has become famously known and accepted over the last hundred years as a leading principle in psychology. And honestly, for good reason, because it was and still is one of the best breakdowns of the science of human needs out there. So just briefly to sum it up for those of you who've never heard of this or seen it before, the hierarchy kind of looks like a pyramid with our strongest human needs at the bottom, creating the foundation, and each subsequent need gets stacked on top, getting smaller and smaller, forming a pyramid shape. And according to Maslow, one could only ascend to attaining higher level needs once the lower level needs are taken care of. So on the bottom, at the bottom of the pyramid, the foundation of the structure are the physiological needs. Physiological needs simply being the things that 
you need to literally live food, water, oxygen to breathe, sleep, shelter. And then just above our physiological needs are safety needs. And safety means living a life without fear of direct bodily harm being done to you or fear of being killed or kidnapped or wondering where your next meal is going to come from, fear of starvation, right? And you can see as you can't really worry about your safety if you literally don't have your physiological needs met, right? That's what keeps you alive. Then you have the ability to worry about safety needs. Then when you have both your physiological needs met and your safety needs met, then you go up the pyramid and you can worry about higher level things. And as we go up the pyramid, we work our way up to things like self-actualization, which is you know, the ability to work on things like the inner work, the stuff that you might talk about in therapy and the things that we talk about on this podcast, dealing with your feelings and all that other hippie nonsense. Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, basically, Maslow proposed that once you have all of the other stuff down, like being safe and not being in danger of starving to death, it's only at that point that your mind frees itself up to focus on the bigger picture stuff, like thinking about the future, like making the world a better place, and all of our many other uniquely human things that we tend to occupy our time with. And, you know, I, I really do agree, right? It's very hard to care about building wells in third world countries or focusing on reducing your carbon footprint if you're homeless or jobless or struggling to get by. However, while obviously, you know, there's a huge amount of validity in Maslow's theory, the thing that I've come to observe is that while I do agree with what he said about the our physiological needs and safety needs and all of these things being more important and we can't worry about certain things until we have those needs covered. You can't worry about self-actualization before you have physical safety, right? We know that. But the thing is that, that I found is that having safety and shelter does not actually mean that you can then worry about the other stuff like self-actualization, right? It, it doesn't actually lead to those things, right? You can see this because in reality, if you live in a westernized nation, you have safety, you have physiological safety, and you have literal safety. There's zero chance that you listening to this right now are going to starve to death. You're listening to this on a smartphone. There is literally a zero probability that you're going to starve to death. Probably would also be impossible for you to go homeless. You might lose some money in the stock market or lose your job, but there are government programs set up in all industrialized nations that would give you a home and give you meals and things like that if you truly, truly needed it. There's police there to protect you from violence. There are firemen and, and ambulances to rush you home, uh, rush you to safety if you are struggling with anything. So in reality, our physiological and safety needs are technically taken care of just by pure virtue of the place and time that you were born. And theoretically, this should mean that we're all free to worry about the real tough questions in life. What is the meaning of life? What is the nature of the universe? 
When will they stop making Fast and the Furious movies? And yet, this is not the case. As you may have realized listening to this, even though it may be technically true that your immediate physiological and safety needs are technically met, it doesn't always feel like that. Our lives are not free of worry. As the time of recording this, Russia is invading Ukraine and people are afraid of a war breaking out. Gas prices are high. The economy is down. The inflation is up. There's a lot of stuff going on. If anything, humans today are more stressed now than our ancestors were generations ago. And that's a paradox, right? There's all of this technology. All of these problems have, quote unquote, been solved. And yet we are more stressed, more overwhelmed, and less happy. So how can that be? How does that work? Well, my theory is that it all stems from a lack of control. See, what Maslow certainly realized was that we need the physiological and the immediate physical safety. My theory, however, is that what those things actually represent to us is simply control. A ship at sea on calm water is safe. The captain steers, the boat goes where it's supposed to go. The ship is in the, con the control of the captain. When hurricane winds and 20-foot waves start up, the ship is no longer safe. The captain is no longer in control because the ship is being pushed around by weather. If somehow the captain were able to, with 100% certainty, steer the ship through the storm with no problem, regardless of the wind and the waves, there would be no need to fear. They would still be safe. Because safety is control. And a loss of control, therefore, represents a loss of safety. So you may be technically safe, like living in a first world country with a decent salary job and a new-ish car that gets decent gas mileage. But when the end of the month comes and your paycheck is gone and there's still bills to pay and you want to plan a vacation for you and the kids, but you don't know where that money will come from, and you know the timing belt just went on your car, well, then all of that quote-unquote physiological safety in the world, it doesn't mean jack shit. If it did, then people in jail would be the most enlightened and happy of all of us, since they have a roof over their head, a bed to sleep in, and three square meals delivered to them promptly every single day. They even know how many years they're going to get that treatment for, which is like a huge win, right? They're safe and they know that it's going to last for 10 to 20 years. Woohoo! Except no, right? Obviously, that's wrong. In reality, people in jail, I would guess, are not happier. I haven't done a study to corroborate this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably the case. And it's simple to see why. You know, let's disregard the fact that their actual safety is not promised because, yes, I get that people get stabbed and killed and other bad things happen to them in jail. But for argument's sake, let's put that aside and focus on what they've lost. They've lost the freedom. They've lost the right to choose. They've lost control. Prisoners are told when to wake up, when to eat, when to shower, where to be. They're held to strict time regiments. They have everything given to them, but they have it force-fed. 
They are stripped of their ability to control their lives, which takes away their autonomy and subsequently their humanity. And we can also see the flip side of this because, you know, every once in a while we hear a story of a prisoner who is a success story of our flawed penitentiary system, right? We hear of a convicted prisoner going to jail and coming out better than they went in, coming out with new life skills and they read classes and they, I mean, they took classes and they read books and they come out with a new lease on life, right? And I've, I've heard these guys talk on podcasts and TED Talks. There's always a common theme because they're always undoubtedly asked, well, how did you do it? And the answer is always the same. They took back control. These men, these people, these women, they realized that so much of their life inside a prison was outside of their control, from their schedule to the people around them to even, yes, their actual physical safety at times. But re what remained inside of their control was what they choose to do inside of their mind, inside of their cells, reading books, learning, exercising. So they controlled what they could. And you know, many of these people have said that they found peace, even harmony and happiness on the inside. When they lost everything else, a feeling of control allowed them to maintain hope and happiness and continue to grow. And this is also why I think that health and fitness are so universally seen as symbols of status. Someone who has a fit looking body instantly broadcasts to anyone that sees them that they have a sense of control, right? It has to be so, right? If you see someone who is skinny or strong or whatever the thing is that you think of being fit, it communicates to you that they have the ability to do what it takes to achieve that level of fitness. Subconsciously, what you think is that person has a lot of self-control. And then inherently, what we also think subconsciously is that's a good person because we equate being in control with being able to control ourselves and our life. And this is why it also feels good when you lose weight or get into a gym routine or even just start waking up early and sticking to a morning routine because you are proving to yourself that you are in control, right? It's easy to think that people are just seeking external validation from their peers, which is definitely true, right? People lose weight because they want people to pat them on the back. But pretty much anyone who's achieved any sort of body or life transformation will probably agree that the validation that you get from the outside world is fleeting. You know, it seems like something worth striving for when you first start, but once you start to get it, you realize it doesn't really do much. What does mean a lot, however, and what keeps people going, the people who actually maintain these massive life changes rather than the people who, you know, might change their life but then slide back to where they were what keeps those people going is the feeling of control that they get over their lives because when you become the type of person who does what they say they're going to do the type of person who sets goals and then achieves them what you're doing is you're sending a signal to your subconscious brain a signal that says i am in control and we know that control equals safety right so that means we're telling our subconscious brain I am safe. And this allows your brain to relax. Because when you're not safe, we're stuck in an endless fight or flight response. Your brain, your body, constantly looking for safety. You live a life on high alert. 
always ready to do whatever it takes to survive. But a sense of control can flip that switch off. This is why it's so important to be deliberate with your goals, your, your words, your actions. If you're constantly saying, this is going to be the year I quit smoking, or I'm definitely going to stick to that diet this time, or it's now or never, I'm starting that business, but you never do those things, then what message does that send to your subconscious mind? Well, what it says is, I want one thing, right? I'm saying I want something, but I can't get myself to do, to do the thing, to take action on it. It means I have lost control. And we know that a lack of control equals a lack of safety. You are now stuck at the bottom of the pyramid, and your finite mental and physical energy must be saved to keep you safe rather than be spent on achieving things that you say you want. If, however, you set goals for yourself and you achieve them, then the signal that your brain gets is, I am in control. I am safe. I can use that energy and focus on harder things. And that's how we start a positive spiral up. So if you want to live a happy life, you need to restore your sense of autonomy and help yourself feel in control of your life. Now, again, that will look very differently for different people. It's different for everyone. I came up for the idea for this episode while I was on the plane back from Miami where I took an impromptu trip to visit some friends for the weekend. And, you know, my ability to up and leave and not worry about the financial implications of my business, that's something that I've worked towards for many years. And that's a big part of my sense of control over my life. If you're a single parent listening to this, then that's not going to look like that for you. Control might simply be getting a better grip on your family's scheduling and making sure you can get the kids to and from their activities while still having time for yourself, your job, and to just live your life. You know, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, control might mean finding a way to get a better inflow of prospective leads so you don't have to feel like you're constantly playing catch up with your business. Remember, control is simply safety. And safety is control. When you have control, it's getting the proverbial boot off of your neck so you can breathe a little bit easier. It is getting out of the passenger seat where you're just being whisked around without any say, any which way, getting out of the passenger seat and getting into the driver's seat. You know, drivers still have to be able to obey the traffic rules. You still can only get off the highway when your exit comes, but at least the driver gets to decide on the speed and the exit and when to get off. You know, I'm sure you can think of a time when you've been in the passenger seat of a car and you didn't particularly trust the driver. For whatever reason, you just didn't feel good. They accelerated too fast, they got too close to the car ahead of them, they played a little too fast and loose with some traffic laws. Sitting in that passenger seat with no ability to do anything about what's going on besides just grab that little handle above the door and hold on for dear life, it's one of the worst feelings ever. Not because you're actually in danger. I mean, chances are that person drives fine, they just drive differently than you and you aren't used to it. However, it still feels bad. It feels unsafe because you have no control, you have no say in what will happen, and that is never a good feeling. Okay, I know that I said I was going to get to all three C's today of happiness, but just working through control, 
took me a little bit longer than I thought it was going to take me today. But I think that that is such a powerful one that I'm actually just going to leave it there for today. So what I'd love for you to do is to let me know what you think about my theory. Do you think that being in control of your life is the key to happiness? Make sure that you check back in in two weeks while I go over the next two C's, which are, again, confidence and clarity. But I'd love to hear your feedback and to let me know if you think I'm crazy or if you think that I'm really onto something with this theory. All right, that's it for today. As always, thank you for being here. I hope you got a lot out of this episode and I appreciate you taking the time to listen during your workout, your walk, your commute, or whatever else it is you're doing. If you got some value out of this episode, I encourage you to hit that little share button and send it to a friend. I personally always share podcasts with my friends and family and they are always grateful for it because it's a way we can all learn and grow together. If you want to help support my show and help me grow, leave an honest rating review in iTunes. And if you really love what I'm doing here and want to support the show, you can click the link in the show notes to buy me a coffee. I self-fund this podcast with no ads and no sponsors just because I want to help more people live healthy, happy lives. If you believe in the mission like I do and want to help me grow, then that is a small way that you can get involved. Thank you again for your love, your listens, and your support, and I'll see you here next week. But until then, stay healthy, stay happy, my friends.